Good morning, my beloved brethren. And a very, very special good morning to all the mothers in the congregation. Hope you all received the flowers you came in the door. If you didn't, please get one on your way out. It is your day today. The young people have something they call in music a, a mashup or a smash up or something where they take a couple of songs and put them together. Well, when I started my lesson, my lesson today is on putting prayer first. From the grandmother to the empty nester mom, to those who are still raising your children, to the new mom, to those who haven't yet become a mom, to us you are a mom today. Because you young ladies, the teenagers, and those of you that don't have children, participate in teaching our children. They draw near to you because you're young and vibrant and full of life, and you share their lives with them. You teach them more things than, than, than you would ever know. So today, you too are a mom, figuratively, even if you're not physically. And we thank you for that. I love holidays. Today is one. I like secular holidays, patriotic, even religious ones. Now, I don't celebrate religious holidays per se in the church or as worship, but I don't care which one. Christmas, Easter, Passover, Rosh Hashanah, doesn't matter. I don't celebrate Christmas, but I love gifts. And I love family. Oh, wait a minute, wait. I love family. And I love gifts. Maybe that's the better way to put that. I like the celebratory aspect. People coming together. Good food. Heaven knows the church people love good food. Good times. And today it's Mother's Day. When I began putting my lesson together, I thought I would be amiss if I didn't say something about Mother's Day. Because I'm speaking on prayer first. And I will in just a little while. But as I started looking at a couple things that the scriptures say about mothers and about this day, and I consider all the moms and the grandmoms and the people sitting here, and what the scriptures teach about motherhood and about moms and the roles that they play in our lives and our children's lives, each and every one of us has a mother. Every soul that lives has a mother. And I began to think, as much as the scriptures say, maybe this is a religious holiday, not as a worship day, but authorized and recognized spiritually from God himself because of what he said in his word, and much is said in the scriptures as an acknowledgement for mothers and all they do, and the value that God himself puts on mothers. And I'll share with you just a couple things, and if you know where I'm reading from, tell me. See if you know. She gets up while it is still night and provides food for her family. And I'm reading just in portions of scriptures that I've selected. She sets about her work vigorously, her arms strong for her task. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her households and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also. 
He praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I can say I've got one of the best. I've watched her for 40-some years raise our children. I know the value. She was fortunate enough to be at home as a stay-at-home mom. Her beauty hasn't faded, inside or out. And for all you ladies that are here today, God bless you for all that you do for our children. We should praise and honor this day, brethren, as I do my mother, the mother of my children, her children, the mother of my grandchildren. Offer a prayer today of thanksgiving for that mother in your life, for the mother of your children. Whether she's here now, with you today, whether she's someplace else, or whether she's passed on, as Carl had said. I knew Carl's mom. I've known Carl for 40-some years. And I'm sure he smiles inside when he thinks of his mom and the love he had for her. So lift your prayers up this day for those ladies. For your prayers shall be a glory and a praise lifted up to her, to God. And now for my regular lesson that I started to work with. Some of you may have heard this little story. It's been around for a long time, but for the benefit of you younger people and those who may not have heard it. There was once a gentleman who lived in a town, and it began to rain. And it rained, and it rained, and it rained. Not unlike we've had 11 days of rain, I've had about enough of it. My landscapers came yesterday to put mulch down. I thought they were going to plant rice for a minute, as much rain as we had. <clears throat> and as, as the waters began to rise, he began to pray, because he saw the flood coming. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. Lord, save me. Well, the water started getting up to the rooftop. So he got up on his roof and started praying, Lord, save me, save me, save me. Along comes one of his neighbors in a boat. He says, jump in, friend. We'll help you. He says, no, I've prayed to the Lord. He'll save me. He said, okay. And off he goes. A little while later, he got to the top of the roof, and he said, what do I do now? And he climbed up on the pole. And the water got up to his feet, and here comes another boat. And he says, jump in, friend. I'll save you. He said, no. I've prayed to the Lord, and he's going to save me. Well, now he's up on the top of the pole standing, and he's got water on his toes and somebody came in a helicopter lowered the rope and he said climb up friend he says no I've prayed to the Lord and the Lord's going to save me helicopter flew off waters came up the man drowned and he got up to the pearly gates and he went in and he saw the Lord and he says Lord I prayed to you three times why didn't you save me and he said I sent you two boats and a helicopter <laughs> What do you want me to do? Now we're going to come back to that story in a little while. But keep that in the back of your mind. Prayer. I've asked you to pray for mothers. We've prayed in our service. We pray prayers of faith and praise. I'd like to think that I'm a man of prayer. Of course, we all like to think things of ourselves. I would like to think that I often talk with God. I pray for my family. I pray for my meals. I pray for the church and for my brethren. 
And I can remember a few times in my life where I've prayed so diligently and so hard and so fervently about very specific things that the Lord has answered those prayers. And I will remember them, remember them all the days of my life. In 1983, I lost my job. I nearly lost my home. Perhaps if it weren't for my parents, I would have. They helped us until we could repay them. That was in 1983, and brethren, to this day, I've got the same job with the same employer 33 years later, making a good salary with great benefits for my family. That prayer was answered. In 1988, I wanted so much to purchase a home, other than the one we lived in. We owned our home. But we wanted to move to Ellicott City for the schools, for the community, for the neighborhoods. And I knew, having young children, what that would mean to my family. Very much like living here in Severna Park, Annapolis. It's great schools, great places to live. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And the Lord answered that prayer. And he gave us that home 28 years ago. And we still live there. In 1986, I'm sorry, 2006. The darkest three hours of my life was the day that I sat in John Hopkins Hospital while they operated on Mary for cancer. That was the toughest time I've ever seen. But I prayed and I prayed. My mistake was I sat there alone. I didn't ask anybody to go with me. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. Here she says, he answered my prayer. And if any of you have gone through very, very serious illnesses, you know what I'm talking about. You've asked, been asked the last couple of weeks to pray for my brother, our brother, an elder in St. Mary's County, Chuck Pirtle. He's been on life support for three weeks. Brethren, you will never, ever, ever convince me that there is not power in prayer. Chuck had septus, double pneumonia, ARDS, respiratory distress sickness, and swine flu, N1H1, any of which will kill you. Any of them are killers. Yet here we are five weeks later. Last Sunday I wasn't here because I sat at Chuck's bedside with my wife and talked with him. I talked with him. And I told him how much I loved him. And we hugged and we kissed. And we shared those moments, moments of joy, because of answered prayer. I will always, always know that power of prayer, putting prayer first. I strongly believe that prayerlessness was a sin against God because of what the fruits are. He instructs us to pray. He instructs us how to pray. The Lord Jesus taught us how to pray. If you don't talk to God, and I want you to hear this if you hear nothing else today. If you don't talk to God in prayer, you do not open him up to you and you do not give him a chance to speak to you. Just like when we talk to each other. If we don't speak, we don't communicate. It becomes a monologue. And sometimes that's how we pray as a monologue. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need this. When we pray to him, he hears those prayers. But he also wants to hear your prayers of praise, acknowledgement, recognition of who he is, the Father of heaven. He knows your needs. But he gives us scriptures that teaches, I know your needs. In Matthew, he teaches, 
Don't think about tomorrow. He counts the hairs on your head. He knows the wings of every bird. But he has instructed us to pray. Jesus said a lot of things in the Gospels. A lot of subjects he dealt with. But the two subjects that he dealt with above everything else that all of us should have in our life every day. And there are a lot of verses, and I won't go through all the verses. But of all the subjects he talked about, prayer was number one. Faith was number two. You can read through the Gospels and find that those are the things he talked about. And it's interesting, of course, the fact that not only did he talk about it, but he practiced them naturally. He instructed us to pray. Because prayer was a priority to him. He regularly spent time talking with his father. Our father and God of heaven. In a very intimate and personal way. Being encouraged. Sharing his concerns. And above all, seeking his will for his day-to-day -day life. And how many times do we see Jesus saying, Not my will, but thy will be done. In concept, in principle, and in practice, he did it. And I would ask you this question in your own life. Just open your Bibles, if you will, to, to mark the first chapter for a moment. And we're going to look at the 35th verse. And then I want to ask you a question about your prayer life. Mark 1, 35 through 37 reads, And in the morning, rising up a great while before the day. He got up very early in the morning, probably before sunlight and before anybody else was up. He went out and he departed into a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when he had found him, they said unto him, All the men seek for thee. And although Jesus went to a secluded place to pray, they trailed after him, they found him, and they said, Everybody wants you. You ever have a time when you want some solace? Whether it's in prayer, or whether it's personal meditation, or if you're doing something and you just want to be left alone. Because it's important. And it's not more important in anything else than it is in our prayer life. The question I have is where does prayer fit into your daily schedule? And I want you to understand, brethren, this is my lesson. This is my sermon for me. I'm sharing it with you. But the lesson is for me. Pray on your way to work? Is it at breakfast? Is it in the afternoon? Maybe the evening? Where does prayer fit into your schedule? I've heard some people say, and I've said it myself, and I tell Mary this, I pray all the time. And I do like to think that I'm in constant communication with the Lord. Do you have a set time that you meet with the Lord? Or do you pray on the go, like I often do, driving to work or driving for work. Sometimes I drive 500 miles a night. I have a lot of spare time to talk to God. Are your prayers reserved only for your meals? Or for the occasions that, like I've mentioned, where I need God's help. There's something that I want, and I know He can provide it. Of the 24 hours He gives each and one of us every day, how much time do you give to the Lord in prayer? And those prayers are fine. I'm sure that the Lord loves to hear our prayers. But do we take the time to meet him in a spirit 
of prayer. It's very important that we can isolate ourselves from life, from ourselves, and pray unto Him. If you're driving up 97 or across 50, or like me up the New Jersey Turnpike, not doing 80 miles an hour, that's not the place where, where we are in a spirit of prayer and devotion. And I would suggest this to you that a neglect of prayer results in a weak Christian life. It meets unmet needs and ungodly behavior because you have to stay in the zone. And if we take our focus away, that's why we have the Lord's Supper each week. He instituted this for us each week to remember Him. And we need to pray every day to stay in communication with Him. Prayer affects our day. And I suggest to you that these other times of day are not inconvenient and they are still good for prayer. But let me offer to you, when you begin your day, and I've heard my wife do it millions of days, she gets up in the morning with her iPad and her earbuds in, listening to a sermon and praying to God. I see it, I hear it, I watch it. Let me suggest to you to start your day with prayer. Because prayer sets up our day. It affects our day. He prepares us for the day ahead when we pray to him, when we allow him to communicate to us. He alone knows what awaits us each day. We don't know what our day is going to be, what's going to happen at work, what's going to happen in our family, what's going to happen with our health. He may strengthen us for a difficult situation. He may prepare us to accept a new challenge. And we do face new challenges every day. Jesus teaches about prayer. When Christ taught his disciples to pray, he gave them and us a pattern to follow in the Lord's Prayer that we all know. He told us to ask, to seek, and to knock, expecting what, we rece what to receive in Matthew 7 and 11. He helps us to understand that he gives us what is good. Jesus used the example in his talking about the father who would never give a snake to his son who asked him for a fish. And God, God of heaven knows what we need. When we pray, I suggest to you, as we commune with him in the Lord's Supper, we also commune with him in a different way through prayer. We aren't just meeting him to list a petition of things that we need. He wants to fellowship with us, and he says so. We're in prayer, we are empowered by prayer. And prayer is empowered by faith. Jesus taught that prayer and faith go together hand in hand. And so many times he has said, oh, ye of little faith, pray and believe, and it happens. Every time he answers our request, our faith grows stronger. And think of the times that you've prayed, and the Lord answered your prayers, yes. Because in a minute we're going to see where he says no, or maybe, or not yet. He did speak of many things subjects during his ministry. He practiced prayer. Prayer was a priority. The scriptures are our anchor for our prayers. He gives us the patterns. He gives us the things that he wants us to pray. He teaches us not to doubt. And I suggest that when you go to prayer, perhaps have your Bible with you or some verses that you're familiar with so that you can recant to the Lord what you're praying, why you're praying, and what he said, and acknowledge that with him. Since an intimate and effective prayer life never happens accidentally. 
we have to take some steps in our life to make it happen. We have to schedule a time. I have a full-time job. I'm also a full-time residential and commercial real estate agent. I also own a property management company. She works me to death. I'm a busy man. I say that lightly because I take them all myself. And she tries to get me to slow down, but I, I love building and doing things. We have to pray first. We have to schedule a time. We have to pick a place. Is there a place where you can go in solace, quiet, have that solitude to pray? We need to find one. We need to take the time to do that. And we need to believe in our own hearts that the Lord hears our prayers. He tells us he does. He says that he doesn't hear the prayer of sinners. He turns his face to those who are in sin. And we need to pray for him, pray to him for direction. Direction in our lives. Direction with the word, for there is much, much power in prayer. I asked John to lead number 730. If you'll look at your songbook for just a minute, for number 730, the last song we sung. And you may not even have to look. This song is so old and so are we, and we've sung it a, a zillion times. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That song was written by Joseph Scribner. It was written in 1855. It wasn't recognized that he wrote it until 30 years later. And here's how I, I, I do the mashup thing. He wrote this song for his mother. He was separated from his mother in Ireland. He suffered so much grief in his, in his lifetime. His first blow came when his fiance died, just before they were married. She drowned the night before they were to be wed. Imagine that. Having recovered from that, he moved to Canada in 1846, where he became, to Eliza, became engaged to Eliza Roche. What seemed to be an amazing coincidence, she died shortly before their wedding. Following the death of his second fiance, he started helping the aged members of the community and penned these beautiful lines of this hymn. And he stated that without the power of prayer, he would have held less meaning in his life, which holds for us today through his words in this song. No subject has ever had greater prominence in the Bible than prayer. We cease to pray when we have unpleasantness. When things go wrong, we turn ourselves away. But I tell you, brethren, James wrote about prayer. And he talks about how much it needs to be a more important part of our lives. He tells us to confess our faults one to another that you may be healed. The affection, effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah prayed and it didn't rain. Three years. He prayed and it did. Does God answer prayers? Yes, he does. And he answers them very specifically. 
Sometimes no is an answer to. And sometimes we as Christians would like to deny that he said no because he's a loving God. We pray to him and he can give us what we want. Doesn't always happen. One of my prayers in life was in 2005. My father was critically injured in an accident. He was retired, but he took on some stuff on the side. He got hurt. He was flown to shock trauma on a Wednesday. We prayed for days. On Sunday, we terminated his life support because of brain damage and the injury that he had suffered. So not only do we need to pray, but we need to act. He tells us to pray and row. Back to the guy up on the pole for a minute. He prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he died. Why did he die? Because of his lack of action going together and working with the prayer. And we need to do the same in our personal lives and in our congregational life. The scripture reading was Proverbs 28 19, where there's no vision, people perish. What in the world does that have to do with this? Many writers like to use this verse as something to say men in leadership have to have vision and be a visionary. Those things may be true, but this scripture, if you go back and look into the Greek and the true definitions of it, is explaining that God had a vision for the church, for his people back in the Old Testament, for Jesus, his son. He had visions, and they were to be carried out. As we talked this morning, the lineage that followed with Judah and their families and the crazy things that went on. God has his vision, and he's going to put it in place. He killed some people that got in the way. He forgave and moved on people who were still sinning. He has a plan. He has a vision. And I suggest to you... We all have visions in our lives. We have children, we have families, we have jobs, we have places we want to be in life. And I suggest to you that our congregation, that we look at God's vision, not the vision of the men who were considering here recently to be elders. It's very likely that we will soon have elders here. We're hopeful that we'll soon have a preacher here. We're hopeful and appears that the congregation is regaining strength and is going to be very strong again, both in number and in spirit. And I want this congregation to be a congregation full of the spirit, full of the word. And I implore each of you today to pray for this congregation fervently, diligently, seriously. I implore you to do that as your, personally as your brother and as a member of this congregation. Because I think some very, very good things are going to be happening here very soon. We're seeing a change in the direction. Brethren, a lot of times it's not a matter of where you are. It's the direction in which you're traveling. And I think this congregation is going to be traveling very, very good very, very soon in that direction. Now there may be some of you who are looking for direction in your life. You may be the man standing on that pole. You may be praying to God, but until you take action alongside of your prayer for forgiveness, because you've heard the word, because you know what the Lord would have you to do, until you take the action to become a Christian, you're going to be on that pole and you're going to die. But you're not going to go to heaven and ask the Father, what happened? You didn't save me. We'll all be lost if we do not name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're not baptized for the remission of our sins. We don't continue in prayer and deeds 
as the Lord has set forth for us to do through his vision. Let us follow his vision, his instructions, and interpret his word the way he would have us to and lead, lead better lives and lead this congregation to be strong, spiritual, and sound. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, if you've not yet named him as your Savior, you have the desire and the need to be baptized. Baptistry is ready. All things are prepared for you. If you're subject to that invitation, we'd ask that you come forward. Give me your hand and your heart to God as we stand and sing our invitation song. <laughs>